And I think that is what I mean by the definition of having a life outside of work. Sometimes some weeks that may be two hours where it's just you go for a hike and that's all you get that week. <laughs> but that is that moment is a moment to have that life and to be able to connect you know, with yourself or others or your family or friends or w- whatever fills you up. This is the Indianness Podcast, stories of success from leaders and change makers of Indian origin. Why have Indians achieved success across so many different disciplines around the globe? I have no idea, but let's find out together because every story is unique and we have a unique story with us today. I'm excited to have Arjun Dev Arora with us today. He's the managing partner for Formac One where he advises funds, startups, and Fortune 100 companies. He speaks extensively about startups and entrepreneurship internationally, besides being on several charitable boards. I invited him on this show as he has had a first-hand view of startups and entrepreneurship. While there are many entrepreneurs in the Indian diaspora, I'm curious to speak to him to find out about some common traits that he has seen in them. Welcome, Arjun. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on our podcast. Thank you so much, Sanjay. It's a real pleasure to be here and excited to jump in. Wonderful, wonderful. So, Arjun, I've mentioned to you before that this is about inspiring others. People who want to follow in the footsteps, find out what is the secret sauce, the mojo of amazing people like you. So, to do that, we have to actually go start from the beginning. So, Can you take us right in the beginning, where were you born, a little bit about your parents, siblings, et cetera? Absolutely. My parents were both born in India and came to the U.S. through uh, Germany, of all places. Uh, But I was actually born in in Minnesota and was only there for a short period of time. Uh, It was quite cold, and I think my parents were ready to move on from there. But we ended up in Southern California. That's where I was raised. I was born in Minnesota. But really you know, my upbringing was in Southern California and and had a younger brother who was born in Southern California, who interestingly enough is also an entrepreneur and and happy to share more about his story. He's got an interesting one. And then from there ended up at UC Berkeley. And that's what pulled me into the startup and venture world and then have stayed in the Bay Area since my time in college. And there I studied electrical engineering and computer science. So that was a Intense ride, to say the least. And yeah, happy to share more about kind of that transition from high school to the intensity of UC Berkeley and all the fun that came with it. And then from there, you know, have stayed just deeply ingrained in the Bay Area startup venture ecosystem and have been fortunate over the years to travel the world and speak and connect with people in a business context and personally. But the Bay Area is definitely home. And that's where, you know, I built and really landed my roots, so to speak. Well, that's an amazing story. And we're going to go into the many different threads that exist. But tell me about your parents professionally. What did they do? And what was the environment like, et cetera? Yeah. So both my parents were deeply involved in computer science. So my, my father did his master's in Germany in what at the time was engineering and computer science. So I similarly followed in his footsteps. And you know, he wrote some of the first code for CAD software, for product lifecycle management. So just was very early days of the computer revolution and particularly the software revolution. Um, and my mom also ended up getting into that space. Uh, she was you know, just wrapping up her PhD in geography, but ended up getting married and then moved with my father and then found herself intrigued by everything that was going on in the computer science world <laughs> and had a 
a wonderful career. She's now retired in product and project management, building software for AAA. And my father's been working on all kinds of different projects over many years in a variety of different companies. But I was very fortunate that I grew up with a lot of technology around. We had big silicon graphics machines at home. I was playing with very powerful computers at a very young age. And that obviously had a big impact in my passion for technology. And then again, was fortunate to have had that history. Dad was not an entrepreneur per se, right? Not per se, no. He had a consulting shop that was his own. So, you know, in that way, yes, but not in the kind of startup traditional kind of entrepreneurship way. Yeah. Though I do have a lot of entrepreneurship that runs in the family on my mom's side, my grandfather, my uncle. So there's a bit of that definitely in the family. Yeah. So you said there were silicon graphics machines, et cetera, at home. Was the conversation a lot about tech and things of that nature? What were the conversations generally? Interestingly enough, I think they were about uh, very left brain and right brain. So it was very hard science, math, technology, and you know, engineering kind of conversations, understanding how technology works, breaking apart things to understand them in, at one side. And then the other side was very much about spirituality and philosophy and religion and understanding Sufi tradition. So I was very fortunate to have quite a binary, you know, just a very unique perspective from my parents around both of those topics. And I think that had a very important role in my entrepreneurial endeavors as well as being able to balance both sides of the brain, so to speak. Yeah. And in many cases, that the story of Indianness is balancing. Mm, yes, uh, <laughs> a lot of balance. Things. Yeah. In a lot of different ways. Yeah, Absolutely. So you were going to school in LA at that time? Yeah. So in Southern California, exactly. Public school or private school? Public school. Yeah. So we went to public schools our entire run and, and we were fortunate. We lived in you know Irvine, California, which has some of the world's best public schools. And yeah, my parents made a very deliberate decision at, at great effort and cost. It's something I'm incredibly grateful for to land in Irvine so that we could attend those incredible schools. Yeah. How was school like for you? A good student, average student, or... And there's nothing wrong in saying, uh, because some of the best entrepreneurs that have come on this show have said they were a terrible student. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and I, I feel this. I'm very fortunate. I've worked with some incredible founders who, you know, see students and, and totally agree. I think I figured out, for lack of a better term, how to hack the school system. So I figured out how to just learn quickly and learn how to learn. And that allowed me to spend time on other things, reading or hanging out with friends. And so any sports at all? I swam a little bit, and but I was pretty focused on really my studies and my friends. <laughs> so I would say those are the those were my priorities in my high school days and probably, you know, indicative of being social and wanting to connect and build relationships. And that has continued to play out in my life to date. But I love swimming. I love hiking. So quite active, but I never played. Like a team sport. You didn't play any team sports. Were you competitive? Probably most competitive with myself. <laughs> and I think that's ultimately what drives me is I'm always obsessive about how can I improve every day in every way. And I keep a sign on my desk that says success in everything. And so I think a lot about how to continue to push my own boundaries. And that's led to some really interesting discussions with myself and ways to push and understand you know, my belief systems and really stretch those boundaries. So yeah, that's, I would say I'm hyper competitive and probably even more competitive than some of the 
sports folks I know, I apply that competitive energy towards myself. Was it when the school environment was hard school? Oh, yeah. Oh, very, very, very competitive. Yeah. A lot of kids go into the best universities in, in the country. And yes, absolutely hyper competitive. Okay. And at that time, you had some inclinations as to you're going to be in computers, software, et cetera, while the schools, while you were going through school? Yeah, I think because I'd grown up around it and it's something I knew and loved, I was inclined towards that. And I went to UC Berkeley, you know, to study electrical engineering and computer science. But at the same time, I was also pretty clear from a young age that I wanted to be in a leadership role and that leadership was important to me. So I, I didn't have a clear sense of how that was going to manifest, but I knew that I think the engineering background was going to be helpful in whatever I did next. Because again, back to thinking about thinking or learning of how to learn. And I think the engineering background is just provides an incredible framework on how to be analytical and understand the world. So I was clear that that was important in some way, but I didn't have a you know, sharp future focused goal in, in any way. So when you finished school, you applied to colleges. Is Berkeley someplace you wanted to always go? Yeah, I think staying in California was important. I applied to a bunch of schools. I did not get into the Harvards and the MITs. And I definitely, I think at the time, given how competitive it was, I definitely remember feeling frustrated about that. But yeah, at the same time, and I did get into a couple other kind of East Coast style schools, but the electro engineering and computer science program at Berkeley was, I think, a great option and one that I was very excited to to jump into. Though I, I do remember distinctly being very disappointed I didn't get into you know, some of the big branded schools on the East Coast. <laughs> what was your thought process when that happened? Because it's success in everything, remember? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And I think the definition of success and then leaning into some of the philosophy and spiritual training teachings that I was fortunate to receive as a child really helped transition through that, right? I think there's one thing around faith and understanding that there's a clear path ahead that's bigger than myself, or there's something bigger than me whether you call that, you know, God or Om or whatever, <laughs> however you describe that. So I think that piece helped me get through that and saying, hey, there's something that I'm not yet aware that's going to unfold for me. And I have to have the trust and faith to continue down the path. And then also just a lot of the teachings from the Gita around, you know, you can control what you can control and, and nothing else. Right. And so just being able to sit with that and I'd learned it maybe as a 13, 14 year old. And I had a great teacher who she was incredible. And, and she taught me a lot of the elements of the Bhagavad Gita and things from the Vedas. But living that experience for the first time, sitting with that disappointment and having to actually apply that teaching and learning was definitely challenging, which is, look, I don't have control over whether or not I get accepted or not into this university. So I have to focus on the things that I can control. And that was a great early moment of having to sit with that learning in a very powerful and real way. Wow. Most people spend their lifetime not being able to figure that out. And you must have been- Oh, no, I was very lucky. I, I'm very grateful that my parents, you know, surrounded me with that knowledge and, and those So teachers. spirituality is a big part of who you are. And would you say not getting into Harvard and then getting into Berkeley was one of the defining moments in your life? Yeah, I would say it was definitely a very challenging moment. I think at, at that point in time, it was probably one of the most challenging moments. Because you had set yourself up that I'm smart enough, good enough, I should be able to get into Harvard or MIT or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think there was an expectation and then there was also a societal you know, pressure, of course. Yeah, which 
Over the years, I've learned to give that less credence. And again, this goes back to being competitive with myself, but I'm not going to sit here and say I'm not human. Of course, that has an impact and influence. And particularly in the Indian community, there is a lot of pressure and comparison, as we both know. Yeah. <laughs> Arjun, I say this, that we have two professions to choose from, doctor, engineer. We have two grades to choose from, A plus and A. We have two colleges to choose from, maybe Harvard and Stanford or Harvard and MIT, which are talking about pressure. Yes, I, I agree with you on that. So you went to Berkeley and how was that, Arjun? You were coming from a very competitive school and then you land up in a, might not be Harvard, but it is one of the best schools in the country or world. So how was that? Sure. Yeah, I think that transition was also pretty stark. So I think I went from a school where it was hyper-competitive, but I did well, did very well, I would say, in high school. And going into Berkeley was another kind of big shock. So not only did I go to Berkeley, I chose, I think, one of the hardest or hard, definitely amongst the hardest majors at UC Berkeley, which was electrical engineering and computer science in a particular program. And so I think that definitely was another, you know, big shock. And so from there, where I was used to getting, you know, A pluses and A's to your point, was kind of got my first B and B minus, and, you know, in some of these very difficult classes, that was not something I was used to. So it was a big, big shock. And as much as the intensity of the academic reality was there, I was also fortunate to just build incredible relationships. I've met so many wonderful people during my time there and was fortunate to be a part of a lot of really groups. And so there was just a lot of support just from peers and friends. And so that helped make that transition, you know, possible and bearable and think beyond, again, that immediate moment of extreme shock in the first two quarters of, of school. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Berkeley. That's what they say. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. But so you built some good relationships and then you survived. And did it become pretty clear to you that this is where you want to be in computers, electronic engineers? Was that pretty clear to you at that time? Yeah, I think what's interesting is during my time at Berkeley, I began to appreciate that there are many ways to play in this space, right? I think at my initial entry into Berkeley, I would have thought, oh, I need to be a, an engineer or a product manager in order to be in and around the technology space. But through a variety of different just people I met. And I was part of a South Asian professional fraternity called Alpha Epsilon Zeta. So a bunch of incredible young guys who had gone through various, you know, gone through Berkeley and then gone on to get great jobs. And so through them, I was able to even learn about things like investment banking or consulting or business operations or other ways to be in and around the world of technology, which I love and still do to this day, but not necessarily have to be an engineer, which I think was just the thought that I had going into it. So I think Berkeley provided this way to kind of open my eyes through the people I met, the professors and other people. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Just a little bit of a rewind. You said you have a brother also. Younger to you or older than? Yeah, he's a few years younger than me. Competitive? Yeah, I think, you know, we ended up in in different universes altogether. He went to Berkeley as well. And then you know, he studied more business and political science. And I was more kind of the engineering route. But I think we both push each other <laughs> with an equal level of intensity. I wouldn't say we're necessarily competitive, but I think we are both always pushing each other to be better, to do more, to think bigger, to be able to have more impact and influence. And I think that's how the competitiveness shows up. I think when we were kids, we were running around and fighting and beating each other up and things like that. But over the years, fortunately, we matured and that energy, that impulse, that kind of you know competitive brotherly drive, fortunately, was translated into this kind of push to be 
to be better, to think bigger. As he started his company right out of UC Berkeley for the first few months, he literally slept on my couch. <laughs> and so as he got his business started and it was a very broken, beat up futon. So you know, now that I think about it, but anyways, so he got that start and he was very scrappy. They raised very little money and now they've got incredible investors. They sell their products in Home Depot, Amazon, Walmart, Target. They have phenomenal board members. Aisha Curry is on the board um, amongst many other great people. So it's been a wild ride for him over 15 years, but he started that company. It was it was very intense and very bootstrapped in nature. I think I'll take some credit for being there in the early days and helping to support him and push him on. Getting Hopefully translated into options, but that's a different podcast. So Arjun, when you graduated from Berkeley, what happened? What did you want to do? Yeah. So when I graduated from Berkeley, I was influenced by a lot of the you know folks that I had spent time with. And so I was intrigued by investment banking because a lot of my friends and kind of older fraternity brothers and just other people I knew had gone that route. And so that's where I ended up. So technology-focused investment banking. And that was a great opportunity for me to... I got a very intense engineering degree at UC Berkeley, and then I got a very intense business education going through investment banking. And I'm I'm incredibly grateful for that experience, as intense as it as it was. Eighty hours a week, comfortably, probably ninety. And it was two thousand six, seven, you know, eight kind of time frame. And it was yeah, it was active, it was busy, and we were doing international deals, or so working on very different time zones. We did a deal in Asia and Korea specifically. So yeah, it was always on. My roommate at the time was also an investment banker, and so we would. It was the ultimate work very, very hard. And then we would have a lot of fun on the weekends for a very constrained amount of time and then usually go back to the office on Sunday. So that was kind of our cadence that we had. That's great. So you went to investment banking for how many years? I did that for a couple of years. Yeah, two years. Okay. And then what happened? And then I ended up at Yahoo of all places. And so I was ended up running business development for Yahoo Real Estate which at the time was the largest online real estate website. And that's where I had a chance to really, you know, learn about the internet. And that's where I really developed a love for the web. (laughs) Not that I didn't appreciate it before, but that was an opportunity to see 5 million people coming to a website every month, searching for homes, finding homes, having a meaningful impact on their life and all done through, through the internet. And so that was that kind of incredible moment. And while I was in the heart of Silicon Valley, learning about all of this and working there, I spent a lot of time traveling across the country and I realized that the future is here. It's just not evenly distributed. I think it's a great quote. I forget who says it, but that was an awesome opportunity to learn that particular phrase in action because I would fly to certain regions in the country and people would ask me, hey, why should I use email? I don't know why I should use email to sell a home or I don't know if it makes sense for me to put my listings online. Is anyone even going to see it? And so I would get those kind of questions and have to help educate people about the internet and why it's valuable. And so it was a great and humbling experience. And it was also an important opportunity to learn the lesson of you have to spend time with your customers. There is no substitute for physically showing up and understanding you know, their reality in a very empathetic way. And that's something that spend a lot of time with the founders I coach on that exact topic. It was an important learning for me. Well, that's great. But tell me, Arjun, you were an engineer, then did investment banking, and then you moved to business development. That's a pretty big transition, I guess. 
investment bankers found out that you're so good with convincing customers and you said, that's what I want to do. You are a people's person. Is that what you figured out you wanted to do? Yeah, I think that's what I figured. I figured out that I, I love the complexity and strategy and you know essence of technology and its ability to have an impact on people. That's the thing that I absolutely love about technology. But in terms of my day-to-day and what I enjoy doing, yeah, I love I love engaging with people and helping them through think through their problems and challenges and solve those ch- problems and challenges and then leading teams and helping build teams. Those are the things that I realized during that course of time and was able to integrate both things. I still love technology, but also integrated this kind of people passion through that phase. Yeah. No, that's great. So obviously Yahoo real estate didn't last that long. And in a sense, you probably moved on. You moved on. So where was the next journey, if you can tell me? Yeah. So the next journey is when I started my first company called Retargeter, and that was out of Yahoo. And so I had exposure to display advertising. That was the primary method for monetizing websites at the time. And so that was the impetus to go start this company. And at the time, digital marketing and digital advertising through you know web-based ads was just in the process of burgeoning. And it was adding more targeting. It was getting more sophisticated. And so it was a unique inflection point in the history of advertising, really. And so it was fortunate to kind of jump on that wave, on that bandwagon and start that first company. So I started that in in San Francisco in 2009 and was, again, very fortunate to be in SF, really right time, right place. And that was the moment where things were moving. The center of power was shifting from, let's call it Silicon Valley, San Jose, Palo Alto, up to kind of San Francisco. And so companies like Uber and Twilio and Twitter and Airbnb were all starting around that time, you know, household names now, but at the time they were crazy ideas, right? And Uber was one of our early customers. And I still remember people asking me about it. It's like, oh, what is this crazy idea? (laughs) Are people really going to use black cars everywhere? And so anyways, it became what it became. But again, I was very fortunate to be in San Francisco as a founder CEO during that kind of key inflection point in not only San Francisco's history, but also the history of startups more broadly. And technology and transformation that we have seen, Arjun. So now you have done your startups and now you're helping other startups now, you are at a point where you advise, guide, invest with them. What is more fun, running one or advising one? Yeah. And, you know, not to get too deep into Hindu philosophy here, but I think it's very much about phase of life. So I feel like I'm now in the phase of life where you have a family, have been a bit more grounded and and centered. And I'm, I'm in that place, at least for me, where I've made an active decision to spend more quality time with young kids. Our kids are both under five. So for me, it's now this kind of moment to spend more time advising. And so I've really enjoyed it this time, though I had an absolute blast being a founder. Like I really, really enjoyed it. But I think for this moment in life, I'm, you know, I'm appreciative of the ability to be able to be now more in an advisory capacity. But do you think you'd ever go back to running a business yourself? Possibly, but it would be in a few years. Yeah, exactly. And it would be once the kids are a little older, probably. Yeah. Yeah. No, obviously you are at a point, success, et cetera. We talked a little bit about not getting into Harvard and others. But when you look back, there must have been other challenges, even with your startup and stuff like that. And especially when you look at some of the defining moments, obviously getting into Berkeley was, you know, being in the Bay, you could have been in Harvard 
but maybe you would have gone to Wall Street or something like that, but you were in Berkeley and you got into Northern California, et cetera. Probably that's also a defining moment. It happens. What other defining moments would you say? Because people learn through other people's defining moments and the choices that you make. Yeah. I think another important defining moment is after Retargeter was sold and I was thinking about what I was going to do next. Was it a good decision to sell at that point? Yeah, I think at that point it was, though, as an entrepreneur, I think you always, and this was especially true for me, I always think about what it could have been, right? I think it was, there was a moment where, you know, had we been able to raise a little bit more capital at the right time, we could have probably accelerated further and built an even bigger business. And at, at that time, through for a wide variety of reasons, that just didn't happen. And that was, of course, incredibly disappointing. Now, the outcome was still great. We still sold the business. But I think as a founder, there's always this, and this goes back to the being competitive with oneself thing. <laughs> I knew that there was so much more potential there. And that still, to this day, many years later, still irks me. I'm like, ah, if there was one or two other decisions that could have gone a different direction, that business could have been even larger. And so anyway, that's its own thing. <laughs> but I think after that was just thinking about, well, what am I going to do you know, next? And I always wanted to support founders. And so I decided to jump in and become an entrepreneur in residence at 500 startups. And at the time it was, well, you know, I don't know, I'll do this for a little while. Let's see what happens sort of thing. And then very quickly, I think I realized one, I was very glad I did that because it just gave me exposure to just a fire hose of startups from all over the world. And I think because I made that decision, I began to appreciate even further that I love to find great founders and support them. And that was something that I think became abundantly clear because I made a decision to take a part-time job while I was figuring things out, just being like, oh, I'll go do this EIR thing. Let's see what I learn. And through that experience, that was then, again, a very important and critical defining moment. And then being there, being as passionate as I was, ended up very quickly you know, becoming a venture partner, then becoming a partner, and then being responsible for fundraising and investor relations for the firm, as well as actively investing. So I think had I not taken that chance to just go jump in and explore, hey, what might it look like to be an EIR here? Or yeah, that, that made a very big difference in my life. Yeah. So when you made that decision, was there a thought or a big strategy behind it? Or you said, hey, it sounds like an opportunity. I have nothing to lose, et cetera. Yeah, I think it was more the latter. I think it was being open to possibility. And I think that's a really important learning for me was just like, it's a risk reward ratio. It wasn't that big of a commitment, but it, I think there was a lot that could be possible from that moment. And because... I made that decision a lot of like the whole, literally the whole world opened up and again, you know, from a startup perspective. So I think for me, the learning from that was be open, take chances and see where things can go. And particularly if it's relatively easy to reverse the decision, then, you know, take the risk. And in this case, it was a kind of light touch EIR program. So had I chose to go do something else or start another company or go to a different venture fund, even I, I would have had that option, but because I made that decision, that whole, that world opened up. So one of the messages is for people is to be open to options and sometimes try it out. As you said, it's reversible in many cases. The world probably is not going to come to an end with that decision. Yeah. Even if it didn't work out, it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. So well, that's a very good point, Arjun. Any other key inflection points or defining moments that you can think of for yourself? 
But these are all teaching moments for others is what I'm saying to you. Oh, no, absolutely. I think another moment within the context of 500 Startups is the time the founder of 500 asked me to go and lead our efforts globally for fundraising and investor relations. Now, I had never raised capital from LPs before. This was something completely new uh, to me. And typically, something that folks who have been in the venture world for a very long time ultimately have that responsibility to speak with limited partners and investors and venture funds. So I was, you know, maybe two, three years into my venture career. And all of a sudden I was given this opportunity to do it. And I could have very much said, look, I know nothing about this. I should not be in this position. I'm way too young and way too inexperienced. And I think that would have been the rational choice and everyone would have understood had I said that. But I think the way I looked at it was, okay, I know nothing about this world uh, or know very little about this world. I've been given this incredible opportunity let me jump in both feet first and learn as much as humanly possible about the limited partner universe and how investors make decisions to engage and invest in, in venture funds. And so I chose to say yes, though there was a lot of fear and trepidation and it would require a tremendous amount of travel and hustle and just convincing people of investing in a fund. So I was signing up for a big project to say the least, but I was very excited about it in a way. And I think I leaned into that excitement. So I say, here's something I don't know. Here's something I can learn. And I think, again, back to the opportunity thing, I think this will open up some unique opportunities for me in the future. And fortunately, it was right. <laughs> so, And it was incredibly intense and, you know, and stressful and also exciting and fun. But had I chose not to do that, it would be a very different life right now. So, yeah. As you said before, be open to opportunities and sometimes take risks. But go with preparation is what you are saying. Yeah, no, I think I, I sat down and, and literally studied. I felt like I was back at Berkeley. I was trying to understand how do LPs make decisions? Why do they think that way? Who are they? What do they care about? What are their decision-making criteria? What is their portfolio math? How do they think about asset management? So I, I went in and went down the proverbial rabbit hole and studied for months as I was going through that process. And, and what a great way to learn. Had I learned that, it might have taken me you know, seven or eight years, but because of the forcing function, which is another thing I'm passionate about. Yeah, it's a crash course. You can create forcing functions for yourself to be forced to learn something or level up your skill set. Take that opportunity. That's an excellent point, Arjun. Arjun, this podcast is called Indianness. You run across hundreds of entrepreneurs, startups. You were at 500 startups, etc. Amongst those startup ones, etc., you must be running up across entrepreneurs of Indian origin. And there's a lot, especially in the Bay Area, a lot that been said, hey, look at Satya Nadella and all these other, how come people of Indian origin are so successful? Obviously, I say there's only 1.4 billion, etc. But are there certain traits, you know, I, I've had this, people have given me some different feedback. Are there certain traits that you see? That's not to say that there are other people are not successful, but there are certain traits about people of Indian origin and entrepreneurs that you see? Yeah, I think absolutely. And, and I think these are a subset of a larger set of kind of things that make entrepreneurs great. But I think that grit and that willingness to work hard and just move through walls, do whatever it takes, that sort of attitude that I see in a lot of Indian founders, that kind of, for lack of a better term, immigrant hustle is just very, very prevalent across a lot of the Indian founders I see. The other thing I think is creativity, right? I think you see a lot of just very, particularly for some folks having grown up in different areas, maybe ha not having as much resources or not having all the benefits of 
you know, what I now have living and having grown up in America and being born here, it just, it forces a set of creativity that I think is really critical in startup and being scrappy, like being able to create a lot with a little. And that kind of value set is incredibly powerful in entrepreneurship. The other thing I think that's important is just an awareness and tolerance for other people's perspectives, right? I think just thinking about the general way in India where people live together of different religions, creeds, cultures, all that sort of thing. It builds an empathy for others. It builds an awareness and understanding of others' perspectives and a respect for other people. And that kind of emotional intelligence is so important when leading a team or when working with customers or helping to convince investors to invest, being able to connect with other people on a human level, on an empathetic level and see the good in them is a really, or see the God in them as, as it might be, is a really powerful way to be able to connect with other people. So I think that's another aspect of Indianness that allows for success in entrepreneurship. And then of course, just to focus on education, just, you know, raw intellectual horsepower <laughs> is another thing to your earlier point about doctor engineer or do your studies, go to school, get the A or the A plus. There is an absolute level of intellect and strategy and analytical skill sets that matter in entrepreneurship. You have to think fast and you have to move quickly and make the right decision many times in a row. And that requires just raw intelligence. But I would say those other things, ultimately, that's stable stakes. But the other things ultimately, I think, are the the what create the inflection points, that kind of grit, creativity, and empathy and human connection. Those are the things that allow for even greater success. Fantastic points. Grittiness, going through walls, flexibility, creativity, but EQ, emotional intelligence, acceptance. I think uh, those are great points. Arjun, you talked about something which is in many different views right now. And you say the people aspect of a startup is very important. It is the manager's job to make sure you've written something that they have a life outside of work. Now, as you know, currently there are two views on that. Some people also advocate you need to sleep and work and in the office. And those are pretty successful methods too. Why do you think, is it the manager's job? Is it not the individual's job to make sure that they have a life outside work? Yeah. And, and this is a great question. I think it is absolutely the individual's job as well. It starts with the individual. And I see the manager as a coach, as a mentor, as a leader to ensure that they get that out of the employee to ensure that they have some time for things that fill them up. And I think in the entrepreneurial world or investment banking, that time may not be a full weekend's worth of time and every night and weekend and all the extra time. But I think finding even a moment to be able to connect with yourself in a meaningful way, whatever that might be. And I think that is what I mean by the definition of having a life outside of work. Sometimes some weeks that may be two hours where it's just, you go for a hike and that's all you get that week. <laughs> but that is that moment is a moment to have that life and to be able to connect with yourself or others or your family or friends or wh whatever fills you up. Right. And I think that's my definition of life is that something that gives you a sense of you know, joy outside of work. And I'll speak for myself. I, I love my work. I absolutely love it. And, and I spend a lot of time doing it. But I also make sure that I just take some time to do at least something else sometimes in order to ensure that it's a balanced life. And also from a very, let's call it hardcore practical business perspective, that space often gives 
creative ideas or rejuvenates so that you can work harder. So it also has a business benefit, to be very clear. But I think more importantly, it has a human benefit. And that's the important piece. So when you were advising your startup founders, and startups are a very intense kind of an environment, do you tell them that I want you to have a life outside your startup or your business? You do. Absolutely. Yeah. And I've seen every time that happens, that at least in my experience, results in, you know, better outcomes. I've seen too many founders get incredibly burnt out by just sleeping at the desk and not taking the time to fill their cup in other ways. And so it is both a human thing and a very practical business thing. Operating in this level of intense environments requires at least some meaningful downtime or connection with self time. That's a good point. Now, all our guests who come in from different backgrounds, et cetera, talk about the role of mentors in their life. Different mentors defined in many different ways. Have there been any mentors in your life, in your journey? Yeah, absolutely. I think first and foremost, my parents and my aunts and uncles are just learning and my grandparents learning so much from them. But I think in addition to that, my first kind of Vedanta teacher, a teacher who taught me the Gita, she was incredibly impactful in just helping me put more words to these spiritual learnings and give me examples and help me build that groundedness, both with kind of my Indian identity and kind of with spirituality. And so from that foundation, I think I was able to do a lot more. Had I not had that foundation, I think things would have been very different. So I'm deeply grateful for for her. And then another mentor is Naval Ravikant. What he's done a phenomenal job of is taking philosophy and these ideas and making them incredibly practical. And I'd be very fortunate to be you know, an early advisor at AngelList and spend time with Naval and through his writing, just really understand and embody the ability to both connect these very deep philosophical and spiritual ideas with the kind of real world, right? With the tactical, practical realities of startup and venture. So I'm deeply grateful for his ability to bridge those worlds in a very practical way. And so he's someone else I would consider a mentor. That's great. Because as you said, they come in many different shapes and sizes, like your Vedanta teacher and others. You talked a lot about spirituality. and We talk about how do you balance the Indian and the American part of you? How do you do that? And also there's that whole spirituality part of you. How do you balance that, Arjun? Yeah, I, I think to me, it comes into values, right? I have been fortunate to now be in a place where I get to select the best of Indian values and the best of American values. And so from the Indian is, it's the things I mentioned that make entrepreneurs great. From the American side, it's the kind of, you know, rugged individualism. It's the passion for democracy. It's the impact of capital and capitalism and how it can influence and improve lives. And it's this kind of passion for freedom in a very deep and meaningful way. So those are the things are the values that I you know, deeply embody and respect and fold into my life from the kind of American value side. And then I mentioned some of the things from the Indian side. So that's how I think about how to balance them is to continue to fold in and embody the best values from both of these kind of sides of my life. That's fantastic. You've still got a few, many, many chapters still left in your journey. And it's hard to say, but sitting today, where do you see your journey going from here, Arjun? 
It's an amazing question. For me, I want to continue to do the work that I do now is to continue to support, you know, founders and fund managers and LPs in the ecosystem. And so I don't know exactly how that's going to show up, but I know that's something that I'm incredibly passionate about is the kind of innovation technology and then working with founders. And maybe at some point we'll also start to work with artists or people in the music or movie business or some other ways of kind of creativity. I think as startups is an incredibly creative exercise. But if I were to see it unfolding in new ways beyond this, it would still be in this kind of creative universe and creation and building from scratch or early ideas, but it might show up in a few different ways like you know, art or music or movies or things like that. So let's see. <laughs> yeah. But, and as you rightly said today, with the world of AI and Gen AI, the world of art and music is being turned on its uh, head. And talk to the actors and writers who are on strike right now. So uh, there's a lot that is going on, and I'm sure your startups are also heavily involved in watching this. One question is that, if you were to have a conversation with Arjun, who was just coming out of Berkeley, what would you say to him? Just coming out of Berkeley. First thing I would say is buy Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> this is the first one I've heard on this show. <laughs> and then after that, what I would say is, you know, I think continue to trust your gut when it comes to people and continue to operate from a place of passion and continue to just do great work. And I think if you do that from a grounded place and a commitment to putting in great work and connecting with great people, good things will happen. And so I think that's what I would say. And I'd say just trust your intuition and follow that intuition about both the opportunities in front of you and the people you engage with, and that will pay dividends. Yeah. yeah. So buy Bitcoin, trust your gutter slash intuition and follow your passion, maybe music and movies and stuff like that. that. I have a feeling that's somewhere in the future. Absolutely. Arjun, we generally end with a lightning round of questions, just one or two sentences. And we ask this to everybody. And you kind of have answered this, but we're putting a cloud around this is, what is your definition of Indian? It is the values. It's the culture. That's what really is it for me. Yeah. And the food. <laughs> hey, great food. So it's culture, values, slash food. Yeah. One living person, not from your family, either from India or of Indian origin, that inspires you. Yeah, I would say living person, probably, yeah, Naval Ravikant would be one. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's uh, a very good answer. So with that, Thank you, Arjun. It's been just an amazing session, very thoughtful, very open. And, you know, hopefully our listeners are going to learn a lot from this. And so really appreciate you being on the show. Now, thank you so much. This was a wonderful conversation. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Indianist podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and subscribe to enjoy future inspirational stories.